Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to We Welcome Your Teams, a podcast about one of the most unique jobs in sport, football stadium announcers. Uh, it's just the highest honour you could have without putting on the shirt. I was flying back for every home game. Brandon came over and said, just read what you've read out again. And I said, oh my God. Number 40, making its debut, Salt and Pepper Tofu. I'm saying, come on, get off the pitch, you bam pots, come on. My uh, office at the time was actually a shed. I'll say, do you know who I am? And they look at me, no. So I stand there and go, ah. There will be two minutes of added time. And at that point, I'm in. I can get in any word. Yes, this is the podcast all about the people who stand on the sidelines, clipboard in one hand, a microphone in the other, and address the crowd at every game. My name's Rich Hurst. For the last few years, I've been announcer at the Hawthorns at West Bromwich Albion. And for your average football fan, we get quite a unique kind of access to your beloved clubs. And we've certainly got stories to tell about the players and managers we've met down the years. So if you've ever noticed those people who announced the goal scorers and the added minutes and wondered how they got that job, oh, and you want to know what it feels like when it goes wrong in front of thousands of people, you're in the right place. We are ready to start another episode, but just before we do, like any good stadium announcer does... I'm off to panic over whether the away team's kit has too many stripes with undecipherable numbers on the back. Help! So yes, hello and welcome. We're back. The fifth episode of Series 2 of We Welcome Your Teams is here. It's a football podcast that's less bothered about the handball law and more bothered about getting a hand with dodgy pronunciations. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Whether you're a fellow announcer wanting to hear about your counterparts or a football fan just interested in some behind-the-scenes action from clubs all over the country, we think we've got a pretty good episode lined up today. Uh, the Manchester Derby is upon us. Manchester City versus Man United. So this episode is dedicated to the two announcers who call the shots on the blue and red half of Manchester. First up, it's the man who's my regular co-host on this podcast and probably has a vest on under his shirt right now with the words, why always me? It's Alan Keegan. Hello, Alan. Hi, how are you doing? Great to be part of this and uh, always a pleasure to welcome my rival from across the greatest city in the world, uh, Alex Kirkley, of course. Oh, yes. The man who is our guest from the ground at the moment has a huge banner covering the seats saying we're not really here. So it's actually quite nice to speak to someone who is actually there. <laughs> Alex, how are you, mate? Yeah, very good, Rich. Thanks for the uh, introduction, Alan. You're welcome, my friend. You're welcome. We've got a lot of common ground that we're going to talk over during this podcast, and I'm really looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, me too. Well, Alex, let's actually get on to you then. Let's actually get into you and your time at City. So uh, we've covered. So you've been doing it for now. What is it? This is ten years in the job. How did you get that job to start with? Yeah. So my announcing career began. I was doing some f free, unpaid work um, at Berry FC in North Manchester. Um, so I was up the, up in the crow's nest doing what were. TV commentaries, TV style commentaries, which went out on the club DVD highlights packages and, the, <laughs> and sold in a club shop at the end of the season. And then um, from from there, from doing those, um, I used to get a friend alongside me to come up and sit with me because it was a very lonely feeling actually doing those commentaries. And then you could, you know, it was a ladder up there at the start of the game. You couldn't even get down at half time to go to the toilet. No. Um, so you're up there for like 90 plus minutes in the half time break. And it was, it was agony really. So don't have a drink anytime after <laughs> two o'clock. And then, I mean, these commentaries I did, they were awful really. It was, it was, they were too descriptive, if you know what I mean. There was too much chat. There was too much stating the obvious. And I, and I kind of, once I heard it, everything at the end of the season because I wasn't able to like critique myself till the very end of it all and I saw some of these DVDs back and was listening to the commentary and I was like oh this is this is cringeworthy it's horrible um but that's that following summer was 2002 and in the lead up to the Commonwealth Games coming to Manchester one of my mates who had you know commandeered as my co-commentator like David Pleat style Andy Townsend style 
he was a big Berry fan, but he got a job in the offices at the, the Commonwealth Games, which was being organised in Manchester. And he was responsible for housing all the referees, technical officials and judges on all the sports across the games. Now, on the next bank of desks was the sports presentation and sports production teams, you know, like the graphics, the announcers, the whistles and bells around the events. But they were they were an Australian group, um, an Australian uh, team, because they just come off the back of doing the Sydney Olympics in 2000. So they, over the desk, they said to my mate from Berry, they said to him, um, look, we're in town. Do you, you know, local knowledge, we're going to use it. Do you know any stadium announcers? <laughs> so my mate, who's big Berry fan, he said, yeah, I know someone who'll fit the bill perfectly. <laughs> uh, big local club. Yeah. <laughs> big local club. My mate, he's, uh, he's the stadium announcer at a, a big Manchester club. And they were like, oh, great, you know, uh, can we get his demo? So he took this Berry 2001-2002 season highlights DVD into them. And uh, weirdly, and um, they, they rang me about two minutes, sorry, rang me about two weeks later and said, look, we've heard, we've heard this demo would you be willing to work and announce on all the boxing events at the Commonwealth Games? So starting at the Withenshaw Forum for 10 days and then um, what was then the 9X Arena, which is now the Manchester Arena or the AO.com Arena for the for the final five days and all the medal ceremonies. I was like, oh, absolutely. So that was a, yeah. you know, uh, a lucky break, really. And then that, the work for that company, um, which which led to other sports like canoeing, uh, rugby sevens, handball, the Asian Games in Doha. Um, that company then was uh, had the opportunity to win the tender and the contract at Manchester City. So it wasn't necessarily like a, a jobs for the boys. And I, I was approached and they said, look, we know City's your club. We know it's you know three miles away from where you live. Would you be willing to come and do an open audition in the stadium? So that involved going down to the Etihad, um, I think it was the pre-season of 2011 with a load of other um, voiceover artists um, who'd been invited along and then members of staff were, were seated in and around the Etihad Stadium and asked to you know, give their feedback to the club as to who they thought would, would do the job best. Wow. And, and the rest is history. No, that's an actual, kind of like an actual audition. Yeah, with like staff from all over the, the club sat in the uh, in the seats, I've different never, positions. I've never heard of that before. I've, we, we joked, we have joked before about stadium announcers going in for an interview in front of the chairman and a couple of people and having to read out the subs in like, you know, one of the one of the boxes during the day or something or one of the lounges but never actually have a proper audition. I love that. So in the stadium with people sat around listening and what did you, what, so did, what did you do? What did you actually have to read out? Yeah. I don't remember particularly what it was, <laughs> Rich, you know, it's a bit, a bit hazy as a memory now, but because I was just, I was just at the microphone on my own and just told to read out the script and yeah. add, you know, extra biting for goal <sighs> celebrations and, and whatnot. But, um, Magic. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting one. But I had done, I had done three or four games as cover, the season, leading up to that. So I, a bit of experience under my belt at the Etihad, and as as well as all those other sports, which, you know, I, it was a real rich tapestry of stuff that I'd done, and um, it gave me a good grounding really to go yeah. to, you know, my, my true love of football. That's nuts. That's brilliant. I, I, and 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 funny enough, the, the company who were doing all that that day kept a recording of that which actually no i'm only joking i'm only joking i'd love to i'd absolutely love to have had that recording though now just to just to play out that would have been brilliant oh it was it was it was weird because the company that well were kind of involved at, at the start when i got to the etihad were there was there were links to endemol so um it actually stopped me being a contestant on pointless at one point because <laughs> It was seen as being a bit incestuous that I'd worked for Endemol and it was an Endemol game show. So it denied me the opportunity oh. to, uh, you know, get on there on, on the BBC show Pointless. I thought you were going to say, because when you said Endemol, the first thing that sprung to my mind was Big Brother. <laughs> yeah. 
And I thought, oh, hang on, you know, it was either you or that Geordie guy in to be the the voiceover for uh, for Big Brother. Oh, that'd be a great gig, but he's yeah. he's got such a he's got such a great voice. Oh, I'd love it. I'd love it. Al, I can't remember unless uh, I'm being sorry, Alan. Now I, I can't remember anyone else who's gone through the audition process like that. Can you? No, no. I mean, we've spoke to a lot of the lads, and uh, some of it's been like we said from an indirect or direct radio route, or yeah, yeah. or the or they knew someone, or it was a contact or a friend of a friend. So it's a great story that Alex. I actually never knew that. That's a brilliant story. It's amazing that I love it. Um, so at the moment, Alex, what's the um, is 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 the way you work during COVID any different to where you work would normally? At the start of things, so when 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 it was Project Restart, I think from June last season, um, it was quite different. Um, I was put in a hospitality box on my own. Oh, hang about another one, another one in a box. Mike, Mike from Bournemouth last last time, and now you're up in a box as well. Yeah, it was it was unstocked to hasten to add. Ah, okay, fair enough. Um, and I had, I had a little microphone running from the PA room, which was about three or four doors down, but completely isolated. Now, on a on a match day in lockdown, now I'm back in the main PA room, but there's a limit of uh, there's a maximum of three people allowed in that room for you know to to adhere to current. Uh, COVID guidelines. There's hand sanitizer everywhere, but on the walk into the stadium now. Uh, well, even prior to the walk-in, you have to do um, have to fill in a medical form to say how you're feeling. Then you get to the main reception of the stadium. You have temperature checks. You're you're scanned um, for that. Then you you're picking up your pass. You're getting sniffer dogs around your bags. Um, you're checked again. You you're hand sanitising several times on the way in. You yep. you know it, it's watertight. It's watertight, and it, and you have to allow. I'd say once you park your car, and normally it'd be a um, five, ten minute walk into the stadium. Um, it's now a, a 20 minute, half an hour process mm-hmm. to get in. Yeah. And, and how are you finding announcing without fans? It's, you know, it's it's definitely different. It's not the same, you know, as announcers yourselves. You feed off that energy that, that people bring to a, you know, a throbbing football stadium. You, you can't replicate that at all. I mean, I think the thing that keeps you going, um, you know, if you think that you're going out over broadcast with the stadium sound and you're adding to that experience with people at home and just knowing that one day they're going to get back in and, and be part of everything. But it's 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 definitely, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, it, is, it is pretty sad the way things are at the minute. But, you know, I get to go and see all the games. Um, I'm not going to rub it in with people, but, the people make make the atmosphere and you add to it in a very small way. Um, so without that, you know, that key ingredient, it's, it's uh, you know, it's definitely different. Um, now I want, I want to get this, this situation between, because the, the, the relationship here, it's all getting a little bit confusing in my head. Cause I know from when we first spoke to Alan about uh, his career, that he actually started his work in, in football announcing at Manchester City. So I uh, should probably just recap that for everyone who doesn't know that. But after that, I also want to touch on how uh, you two actually came to be working at the same game. Uh, one, one of you as announcer and one of you in a slightly more auspicious role. Um, but uh, Alan, what f- first off, just tell us about your, your crossing from City to United. Yeah, well, obviously... When you're younger and you're looking to get the break and you're looking to get into the industry, <laughs> you'll do anything. You'll do anything. <laughs> you'll sell your soul. That's what they said to me. You'd sell your soul, but you're looking for that opportunity, aren't you? And I, I was very fortunate because um, I'd done, like I said, I was doing a little bit of radio work. I was doing some DJing, and um, at the time, I was recommended to um, the honorary president, is a gentleman called Ian Niven. And he was the honorary president and very much involved with the Junior Blues organisation. And he he loved the Junior Blues. And they had an event that was held once a month in the old City Club. And yeah. there was a, a local radio broadcaster called James H. Reeve who used to host it, who was a big City fan. Anyway, yeah. he told Mr Niven that he was going to call it a day. 
but this was like around October, November. So the season was just sort of kicking in and working towards Christmas. Anyway, there was there was two different people from two walks of life, different walks of life, who'd recommended me to Ian, to Mr. Niven. And it was a case of that he had to meet me for a conversation. Anyway, I think it was getting tight and he needed someone to host the event because this was a mega event. Once a month, you'd get four or 500 City fans, Junior Blues, turning up with the parents. You'd get four or five of the first team squad turning up. And it was a brilliant Sunday morning. It was two hours of chaos and mayhem, but a brilliant event if you were a City fan. And yeah. basically, what is someone to get on the mic and control it and work the room? So anyway, he met me and he said, "Would you know, and again, there was lots of ins and outs with this, but would I do it? Wasn't working for any club at the time. I said, yeah, I'll enjoy doing it. And he said, it'll give us a bit of time to find a replacement at the end of the season. You know, so I understood it was, I actually started in the January. So I knew it was just would be for the five months till the end of May, till the football season. So I did the Junior Blues. But the thing is, I absolutely loved it. It was a brilliant gig. Um, now, Mr. Niven, being Mr. Niven, and I hope he listens into the podcast, because when I said to him, what's the money? He turned around to me and he said, oh, Alan, he said, we do it for the love of the club. We do it for the love of City. Think of all those young children, he said, that we want to convert or want to embrace Manchester City. He said, you'll be helping to do that. He wasn't selling it very well to me. And he said, what we do, we pay our presenters with a pair of season tickets. So I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, I've got, I'm not a City fan. Um, I did, I did have an agreement with him though. I said, I'd always be professional and I'd always do a good job for him. And as it happens that season, we'd played the first game at Old Trafford. So the second game of the derby was at, main road so I thought well at least I've got me because you just couldn't get a derby ticket all right I had to sit into the in with the city fans but I thought I'll do it anyway so I did the junior blues and I did the junior blues for two or three seasons because at the end of the season they were dead happy with the job I was doing I was dead professional really engaged with it I loved the interaction with the players bit of a Q&A some games with the children it was brilliant and then at the time they had an, an announcer. I don't know if you remember remember him, Alex. He was called Vince Miller. Um, and Vince yeah. was quite quite big on the circuit in Manchester. You know, the king of the compares, I called him. He did all the football dinners and he was a really good top pro and a lovely bloke. Well, he was the stadium announcer at City. Um, and then City said to me, listen, we want you to come on a match day and do the warm-up because... Um, we want you to promote the Junior Blues. Will you do that? So I said, right, that's fine. What are you thinking? So he said, well, if it's a three o'clock kickoff, we want you to start the announcements at about quarter to two and do them till about quarter past two and then hand over to Vince. So I said, oh, okay. Anyway, the experience was unbelievable because come quarter to two, rain, hail or shine, I'd give it all. Good afternoon. Welcome to Main Road. Here's your Junior Blues news, you know, blah, blah, blah. Tomorrow's meeting. This, that, and the other. We'll have, you know, Georgie Kinkladzi or whoever else or whatever player would be turning up. You know, you'd, you'd always throw ahead. Anyway, then it came to the point where I started to fill in for Vince. If he was away or didn't have a, didn't, wasn't able to do the game, I'd then fill in. So I'd do the warm up and then I'd get my announcer's head on. And what an unbelievable feeling it was. You know, Main Road, what a stadium. And they had that new stand. I think the capacity was 42,000. It was rocking. And it was just great to be involved with it. And sort of that's that was the root of my announcement career because then they moved Vince where they wanted him to look after the corporate on a match day. City was going very corporate at the time. And they asked Vince to go up there and look after the room there. And so I got the job as the announcer sort of, a, you know, around, I think it was 97 or 96, 97 and um, and had some wonderful times there, both high times and low times, you know, and it was just brilliant. And that's how I ended up being the announcer at City, more by default than anything. And then, you know, it transpires that you end up, I, rem I remember you telling me this, transpires that you end up, you know, 
working at Man United, they've kind of done a bit of homework and they know you've been doing it over there. They know about you obviously having a season ticket at OT and, and all of that and it comes over. And then and fast forward to, to a, I think this was a charity game or a corporate game you were doing. And uh, Alex, you ended up being involved. How did that happen? Yeah, so I'd harboured ambitions for a, a while once I'd finished playing football on a, on a Saturday afternoon, 11 asides at, at amateur level. Uh, to become a referee at a decent level as well. So I was always thinking I, I could could get to the championship level or even Premier League. And I was, I was 28 at the time. This was a couple of years before I got the gig at City. And then um, fast forward about five or six years from that point, and my weekends were always City one weekend, then refereeing the next weekend. And then um, the more you do it, the, the better you get. You, you, well, so, so people say. And then... With Manchester FA, who are my local county FA, um, there were opportunities for for decent referees to do more of like the corporate um, officiating, if you like. So the behind closed doors, sponsored games, and I've uh, you know done done plenty of them at the Etihad. But then you'd get the opportunity to go down the road to Old Trafford, and as a referee and as a as a as a football fan with that hat on, to go to and referee and get out on the pitch you know, actively as a as a match official is a huge honour. You know, no matter what people say, you don't pass those opportunities up no matter who you support. Now, there was one day where um, we'd, we'd gone down to Old Trafford, a, a team of three of us match officials. And lo and behold, um, Alan Keegan was on the mic doing uh, commentaries, Mickey Tate commentaries of the players who were out on the day, you know, rank amateurs, weren't they, Alan? Um, yeah, yeah. Playing, playing the game it was all, all taken in great jest there was a couple of uh, ex-pros playing um, but Alan was the running commentary on the day so you, you, you pitch side position Alan and as a team of three match officials what we do so everybody got a turn in the middle out on the green is that I think actually we were a team of four so two assistant referees the referee and a fourth official but we, we cut the game into quarters and said right one of us will do first 25 uh, sorry First twenty odd minutes, the next um, the next will do. You know the latter end of the first half and just switch it up so everybody got a position in in the middle refereeing. Now my first position of that game was on the line, so Alan is you know he's just warming up really, and he he was giving me he was giving me in spades really the stick on the mic, and then my second position was um, fourth official, so he could have a bit more of a chat with me there. And all the while, um, you know, I've been at City at this point, by the way, as the announcer, about three or four years. So I was up and coming, um, but I certainly wasn't going to let on to Alan who I was um, <laughs> because I knew if I let that slip, that he would have my guts for garters. Now, I then got in the middle and I went on the far side as the assistant referee. And then afterwards... Um, you know the club. Alan kindly invited us upstairs for some food after we'd got changed and whatnot. And then, I, and then I told him, and he, Alan, your words were, "Oh, you should have told me <laughs> an hour ago, or ninety <laughs> minutes ago." And I was like, "Yeah," and you can tell why I didn't, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I remember the day well because obviously I didn't know Alex to see him. You know, we weren't we weren't yes. sort of friends or anything. And just to paint the picture, you've got these corporate days as Alex has clearly said but you've got these 11 mostly men it has to be said but there, there, there's more and more women involved in these corporate days now at Old Trafford but basically it is behind closed doors and to make it a bit more interesting they give me a free reign on the microphone Rich so it's all the things you'd want to say on a match day you know so if anybody makes a mistake or anybody slips up or they miss a sitter Rather than have an empty stadium, because there's only a handful of guests or whatever allowed in, I'm absolutely giving it 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And then if the referees or the officials make a mistake or anything that looks dodgy, you know, you're the, the, the official has been sponsored by Specsavers and all the banter's coming out. So no one, no stone gets left, left unturned. So it's absolutely a brilliant, fun day. Yeah. And I just so wish that Alex had told me who he was. Oh, no, I, I, I think wise decision to, to keep it, Sturm. I really do. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 
Good work. No, but even <laughs> even even prior to that, Alan, um, I don't know if you remember, but we spoke on the phone once or twice because um, with my day job in digital advertising sales, one of my clients who became a friend, he was a big Man United fan, and he we're out having some beers in in Manchester on Thursday night, and he went, "I know Alan Keegan." Um, I know Alan Keegan and he's he's a million times better than you I've got him on speed dial here and I'm going <laughs> to ring him and he must have rang you Alan at about half 10, 11 o'clock on a Thursday night so you having your slippers you had your slippers on and your cocoa yeah. I think he left you about four drunken voicemails <laughs> and then he started emailing you with me CC'd in yeah. and then um, the next day you know to your full credit, Alan, um, you wrote a lovely email back, um, very magnanimous, um, and I'll, I'll never forget it. I've probably still got it here in me in my email oh, account, but yeah. um, um, it was, you know, nice to, nice to have met you, Alex, via this lad, and, um, you know, all the best for the rest of the season. Keep up the good work. I'll, I'll listen out for you. And, um, and then the next time I saw you, obviously, I was refereeing, but I kept my mouth shut till yes. it was a more um, relaxed environment upstairs in the uh, Old Trafford. Good work, mate. Start of a good friendship, Alex. The start of yeah, a good totally. friendship. Totally. <laughs> uh, right, let's get, let's get back to um, your times at City, Alex. I want to know, um, I suppose, aside from, from derbies, unless it is, I'm, I'm, I can imagine there's going to be one that wasn't a derby. Um, the, uh, your best moment, as the announcer, the, the one of your, some of your favourite moments of being the announcer at City. Yeah, so I mean, it goes without saying that the the QPR three two win, at, uh, you know, in May twenty twelve was the standout moment. But just just going back to that day, I mean, it's the it's the first time I've been in a in a in a stadium or even a building or a structure that I felt the the concrete shake. You know, physically shake and everybody just up and down. You know, at that at that, the moment that Aguero goal went in, and to be part of that, and and you know, almost momentarily forgetting to turn the mic on and saying, "Look, that's a Premier League winning goal for City from from Sergio Aguero." But just prior to that, when um, I think City drew drew level at two two, so it was still United's title at that point. Um, David Silva got a corner and that was the point where the um, fourth official had put the board up now stadium announcers will announce that uh, that additional time as soon as that board goes up so there's no comeback on the announcer from the the referees or or the Premier League or the competition that you that's on that day to say look your announcer was was late or you know you've advised the fans that there was this time and there wasn't so ordinarily you'd get that announcement out as it as the board goes up, but I saw that David Silva was about to take this corner. So I, um, my um, show caller to my who sits to my right, who's in charge of everything on a match day, like the graphics, the sound. It's a it's a different role for me because I'm literally the voice. Um, I don't have to press any buttons or be responsible for that. So he said, "Look, the board's gone up." He, he could tell by his body language and his and his uh, demeanour that afternoon that he, he thought it had gone, you know, he thought it had gone to United and that Alan would be striding out onto the pitch through that tunnel at the stadium of light with that trophy and the staging. <laughs> and uh, it was slipping through City's fingers. He went, he said, look, get get the additional time announcement out. Just, you know, just do it. It's 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 going this. And I said, no, just just wait. Just let's wait. So David Silva took the corner. Jekko got got a goal and then I did the, the announcement. So that was, uh, you know, in a very small way, I felt part of, you know, getting City back into the game, if you like. <laughs> you don't, don't distract anyone with the number of added minutes. But did you say then that is when you announced Aguero's goal, is that what you said? That's the Premier League winning goal? Yes, I did. Wow. Yes. Normally it's, it's goal for City scored by, yeah. you know, yeah. it was number 16 at the time, he's number 10 now, Sergio Aguero. But, you know, I, I changed it because I just thought I knew the United game had finished and I knew by the state of the QPR defending, which I have to add, was the the worst defending I've ever seen, thankfully, in a game of football. It was like, it was just hit it and hope. I've never seen anything like it, which, you know, very advantageous for City going into the last stage of that game. But I've never seen such blind panic from a team that is safe, um, you know, that, that hasn't got anything to play for and could have just held the ball. Um, so I kind of knew, and you know, 
maybe maybe a bit cocksure and a bit overly confident, but I knew that that there was no coming back from that. You know, the atmosphere around the place. There's no way you know that that ball's going in the in the city net after that. Because I'm guessing there haven't been many other times that you know you've gone you know gone off script, so to speak. Yeah, but I think that was you know it, you could argue that would have bit me in the bum later on, and you know I know when. Um, City played Spurs in the Champions League, must have been two or three seasons ago. Mm. And it was that ding-dong affair where the second leg and it, the, the game just burst into life. And within the first 20 minutes, I think it was like 2-all or 3-2. Mm. And then there was a time, it, it was one of the, the games when, don't forget, the Premier League didn't have VAR at this stage, but the Champions League did. Yes. And Raheem Sterling scored what mm. we all thought was a, you know, a Champions League two-legged tie winning goal. <laughs> so I've gone absolutely massive for this announcement. <laughs> and then to see it get chalked off by VAR, that was a, a real, real kick in the teeth and a real learning curve. You know, almost like the VAR era kicking in there as to like, can you really hand on heart celebrate and go bonkers um, about a goal? But, We've we've stuck to that really. We've thought, look, it's an en- it's an entertainment piece for the fans. It's all about the spectators, and if you have to fall on your sword with an announcement and and really, you know, add some extra meat to an announcement that's a you know an end of a match or a big goal, then you've just got to do it. You've just got to do it. It's all it's all parts of it now. Oh well, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those moments. You know, I think we could you know we could easily sit down with a load of stadium announcers and talk about the moments in football you wish you'd been the announcer for, and that's definitely one on my list. Definitely. Yes, unforgettable, really, and it's something I'll you know tell my grandkids about. Yeah. Um, if, they'll, if they'll ever believe me. Oh, um, uh, there's, I'm there's sure enough we've all got moments like that, but a... it, it was it was extra special, and it was it. You know, I thought it's every, it's every season gonna be like this. It was the end of my first season, and obviously City were on the on the rise in the ascendancy. And you know, there was, there was great times ahead. But to you know, to be able to bottle that atmosphere, the feelings, and and you know, City having had <laughs> well, Alan Alan seen it firsthand. You know, back in the late nineties as the announcer at, at Main Road. You know, that was a, that was a tough time as a City fan. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, up and down. Um, so yeah, incredible day. First get first season as well. That's unbelievable. First season. Yeah. A good luck omen, I think. Oh my lord. <laughs> Maybe why I'm still there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, uh, as much as we touch on best moments, it is also a thing here that we do have to cover off clangers just to bring everything back down to earth. So, have you got any particular those that you remember? Yeah, it's tons of clangers. I mean, the way the as I've, as I've alluded to, I'm up in the first tier right round next to the uh, police and uh, surveillance uh, uh, room. So quite quite a distance away from the dugout, which is where, you know, if, if substitutions are going to happen, the cards are passed to the fourth official and then it it normally come to the the announcer who's, who's pitch side at the tunnel. Um, but I don't have that luxury. So what happens for me on a match day is that information on the substitution for any team, City or the away team, will get radioed up on a walkie-talkie to us in the PA room. So you've already got like the the crackling of a of a walkie-talkie coming up and through or through someone else's headset then relayed to me. Now, the clangers, the big ones, have, have really come from where substitutions have changed last minute, but the information hasn't come through to me in time. So there's been plenty. I mean, a couple of standouts where um, the, the Pellegrini era, uh, Javi Garcia... Uh, was about to come on for City and that was changed very last minute to James Milner coming on. So I've I've announced Javi Garcia is coming on for City and, and in fact it's James Milner who's who's jogging on. And that spawned a Twitter account, um, you know, a parody Twitter account of am I, the, the real James Milner. Um, <laughs> and then m- most recently City played West Ham um, last weekend and uh, Pablo Fornals was coming off for West Ham. Um, but then that changed. I got changed by David Moyes, who stood in front of the fourth official and changed it to Mikel Antonio. But I've still announced that um, Four Niles is is coming off the pitch. But I think the the biggest clangor I've ever dropped was um, at half time. And um, as is 
as is the case with, I suppose, a lot of clubs where ex-players will come and be interviewed and they've come for the meal and then done a bit of punditry and they've greeted the fans now. City had a, a player from the late 80s, Steve Redmond. Um, you know, he was he was in attendance one afternoon and somebody in the PA room, he wasn't necessarily a football fan, I think he was more technical, he went, oh, hey, you better not get him mixed up with Steve Redgrave. Hadn't even entered my mind at all oh, no. until that seed had been sown. Now, yeah. then, then fast forward twenty minutes and half times come and I've, I've got my script ready to go and you know welcoming you know welcome back City fan Steve Redmond, and out out from my mouth falls the words please welcome into the Etihad Stadium you know uh, City player with countless number of appearances. Stalwart defender, please welcome back Blues, Steve Redgrave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't give him his, his sir title. Um, I might as well have done for the the, uh, the laughter that ensued around after that. Like, What's he just said? Yeah. There's nothing worse so, than people plant yeah. the seed. There is nothing worse than people plant the seed. It happened, it happened to me when I uh, did the Chelsea-West Brom game. Um Chelsea uh, were bringing on um, Willian and someone in the tunnel, uh, one of the stewards said, oh, here he comes at Willian. And of course, when I did, <laughs> when I did the sub, I did it. And then, and, but the worst thing was I didn't realise until I got back, they were all giggling and then said, oh, you did it then. I was like, what? They said, you said Willian. Oh God, did I? I didn't even realise, I didn't even realise I'd done it. Didn't even well, that was it, Rich. I didn't, I didn't realise I'd gone, you know, <sighs> John Big with Steve Redgrave till somebody <laughs> said you just said it and I went I didn't I didn't and then I think someone had recorded it or somebody out in the, one of the fans had then sent it in banked, banked. yeah right next up uh, we we wonder about uh, and, and this may be I don't know this this, this 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 is the kind of thing that can depend on where you are for a game so with you being sort of up in the guards it might not be as big a thing but but we speak to a few announcers sometimes you tend to you know over the course of their career strike up relationships with players or managers just because you know they're because announcers are part of the furniture at a club you know and those are the things that the ways that you can sometimes strike up relationships with with, with certain managers players or, or characters was there anyone for you that, that happened with um there was a time i mean because of the nature of my position up on the first tier and away from the dugouts there was a time when i was reading the, the teams to to a camera about an hour before kickoff as the as the teams have been submitted to the referees room so you'd get you know, get the hustle and bustle outside and you'd, you'd, you'd nod your head and say hello to people. But I certainly wasn't on, you know, like first name terms with anybody in particular. Um, where I was living um, was in the northern quarter of Manchester for a, for a good long while. And just for some reason, it I seemed to bump into Brian Kidd an awful lot. Um, <laughs> and just to be like, you know, end up having a chat with him about City. He knew who I was, obviously knew who he was, uh, City and United legend. And just then, he's a top bloke, as, as Alan will, uh, you know, testify. Um, but he always had, he always had five minutes for you. And I've got a lovely picture of him um, where I did a, a pre-season tournament at Bayern Munich in the Allianz Arena, and he, he just for whatever reason, he had a bit of downtime, and he just came and sat next to me on in the dugout, and we're just having a chat. Um, and someone's got a picture of it, and it's a, it's a really nice memory for me. So that's a, that's a, a nice relationship. Not, not, you know. Not a fully developed one, but just one where you've, you know, somebody being nice and being mm. courteous and having time for you and, you know, just so happens to be, you know, a, a mega legend of football. But um, one story I was going to mention was where I got particularly close with a player was um, Leroy Sané, um, who's now with Bayern Munich, but he was he was excellent for City for a, for a couple of seasons and then he had a really bad knee injury. But when he first came to City, it, it took him a few months to to uh, get accustomed to, you know, Premier League football and to Manchester. And you, you kind of look at Montella and you think he had a bit of a scowl about him and he, he looked, you know, a little bit unhappy. Now, he got his first couple of goals under his belt against Spurs, one home game and, and City won the game. So he was primed for his first interview to, like, you know, BBC and the world media. But the call went out just before... Um, just before full time around the, the communication system in the in internally in the stadium 
and it was it was to the point that he's been awarded man of the match, but he's he doesn't feel his English is good enough to to talk directly to the cameras. So is there anyone in the stadium um, or within the communications team that that would be happy to to translate for him and interpret for him on, on his behalf? Now, I done part of my degree was in, in German. And I'd, and I'd been to Bayern Munich, like I said, and done uh, pre-season there on one of these uh, corporate tournaments as an announcer. I've been interviewed out on the pitch there in German. It was a real highlight for me, you know, academically to say, look, I've taken those skills and, uh, you know, applied them. But I, I jumped on the chance to translate for, for Leroy Sané. So I liked it downstairs, uh, met him. Um, he was a lovely, lovely guy, really humble. Um, he he said what he wanted to get across. Um, I chucked in a few, you know, classic football phrases because I think he'd he'd meg somebody on the not meg somebody on the way through on the run, and then he did he popped it over Hugo Lloris's head. So I added all those like Julio, Giordio, Fascio, Harry Field <laughs> isms into my uh, translation back to the <laughs> back to the local and world media, and um, you know, felt on cloud nine to be able to do something yeah. like that as well as the as the main job. Wow, what is what is German for nutmeg? A uh, good tunnel, like a tunnel. Tunnel, yeah, amazing. Right, a couple of things left to cover off with you, uh, Alex. Um, music, I want to touch on music used on a match day. Um, have you ever heard of players or managers trying to tinker with pre-match or walkout music or anything else like that? Not particularly, Rich. I mean, I sit quite closely to the the guy that that drives the music desk on I'm a bit away from it. And if any requests have gone in for particular um, tracks, they've not come through me now. Um, there's been times where, you know, we've, we've had a, we've had a bit of a say on what's gone out. Uh, well, I've, I've tried to, cause there was a game where I think it was the season after City had won the Premier League for the first time in their, in the history and they, they went to Stamford Bridge and got beat and Chelsea went massive with uh, one step beyond, you know, their, their track by madness. Yeah. So on, in the return game, the next time we played Chelsea at the Etihad, um, we we beat them and then we were like, we've got to get that on. We've got to get, that, you know, one step beyond full whack, um, which we did. And that was that was a great reaction from the fans as well, you know, really rubbing that in. Nice. Um, yeah. We, we know we one, know you've been on the receiving one. end of stuff like that. Sorry, I was only going to bring this up because we know you've been on the receiving end of stuff like that when we spoke to uh, Liam Brown, who does uh, Wigan, uh, who mentioned when they put Don't Look Back in Anger on after the Cup game. Absolutely. Yeah, Wigan are a bit of a bogey team for City because, yeah. um, you know, there's the, the FA Cup final 2013, um, which Wigan won mm. after extra time. Then the following season, they've been re- relegated and... Uh, Uwe Rosler, or to give him his proper German name, Uwe Rösler, was in nice. charge at Wigan. And uh, yeah, it's funny that the fact that every city fan, everyone in England calls him Uwe Rosler. <laughs> you wouldn't pronounce his name like that at all. Anyway, he was in charge of Wigan. And they came to the Etihad, I think it was FA Cup third or fourth round, but it might have been a quarter final. And Wigan were, you know, lower end of the championship and they, and they beat City again. And um, then, then there was that famous FA Cup. Uh, third or fourth round tie from a couple of years back uh, with Will Grigg Grigg, uh, scoring and yeah you know rubbed it in again point point, I suppose the point being was that you know the musical karma can come round like like you did with with Madness there I love that yeah exactly I mean what what goes around comes around you've got to be careful haven't you but um, (laughs) there was always one there was always one misnomer with um, Pablo Zabaleta because everybody seems to think he was a big status quo fan because I think there was some clip of him Dancing around to uh, rocking all over the world when uh, at the end of a game or you know some like title celebrations, but I'd read an interview um, from him in in four four two magazine. He said, "Look, everyone's got this wrong. I like I like the song. It's great and it's party atmosphere. It's just it just so happened to catch me on camera with it on. Um, I'm actually a massive Queen and my favourite band, but it came to him leaving City and that." I don't. They made this big thing about status quo, and they'd interviewed like uh, Francis Rossi and Rick Parfit, and got them to send videos in, um, and then they put it out on the stadium to like say, "Oh, Pablo, you know, sorry to see you leave City. You know, you've been great, and you know, we're so happy you were your favourite band." 
<laughs> and you could just see his face just like nodding along going, oh, right. <laughs> so, that's, you know, that's, that's really, you know, musically um, a couple of stories that stand out for me at City, but I'm not really that close to the uh, to the picking and choosing of it. And and what what's your what's the stance? What's the deal with goal music at City? Oh, yeah, I'd, I'm I'm pretty anti goal music. Um, yeah. Does it need? I think if you were to play it, particularly at City, and I don't know what everyone else thinks about it. You know, Alan, you you guys at Old Trafford, it just it just seems a bit twee and like why 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 do it? It's just gonna create a bit of false atmosphere and just going to get loads of Mancunians going, oh. We've had this conversation many times, uh, Rich and I, on the podcast. And from my point of view, it's definitely a no-no. Um, on one of the behind-closed-door games, we tried it Old Trafford and Ollie didn't want it, you know, and I'm definitely not for it. I just don't think it, it adds anything. See, now, I was against it until we spoke to Rod uh, Fleetwood, who plays <laughs> Captain Pogwash. <laughs> and then I was, well I was like there there's a case there I'd accept I'll, yeah. I'll, you can have that but if you're going to just get you know I mean we, we're, we're yet to speak to the guys at Leicester and, and I get the Kasabian connection all that kind of stuff but you know we need to we need to somehow go around you know stadiums across the country and just delete their copy of Chelsea Dagger and yeah. see how they see how they cope uh, right Two more questions to come, but before that, we take a little break for our one and only game that we have going, and it's still going at the minute. What's my name? Right, chaps, stand by your phones. I'm about to WhatsApp you the name of a genuine footballer that on appearance might be tricky or odd to read out, but you're going to need to do it anyway in your best professional style, even if your eyes are telling you one thing, but your brain says something else, all right? Now, this week, uh, we've got something that was sent to us by uh, the Leeds announcer, Lee Nicholson, who was sweating slightly when he uh, was handed the team sheet from the uh, the Saints-Leeds game a couple of weeks ago and got down to number 72 on the team sheet. So I've just pinged you that team sheet and right at the bottom there, you'll see number 72. If you can just both let me know you, when you've received it and you've had a look. Yeah, I've got yeah, it, thank you. you. Okay, Alex, uh, guest first as always. Who is Southampton's yeah. number 72, please? So I'd go with Kagalgalo Chauke. Alan. That's very good, but we do have a linguist, don't we? You know, so just to <laughs> clarify this. But number 72, Kagalio Chauke. Oh, okay. Well, um, I've, I've managed to find out uh, from uh, some uh, South African YouTube channel, who seem to be the only people who can cover it properly, this is actually how you say that name. A promising South African midfielder, Jaugelo Chawuk, has been promoted from the Southampton Academy to the first team. Jaugelo. And I, I certainly didn't hear any from either of you on that one, so I'm dishing out Neil Poir to Oh, come on, I think I was, I was, that's a point for me there. Come on, Alan, even you got to admit that. I think you were a bit nearer, more to it than I was, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm maybe half a point. Um, the, the best thing about this is, is I, I've got a mate who's a commentator on the South Coast and he reliably informs me that everyone at the club just calls him Kegs. <laughs> <laughs> you Keg, can see why. Yeah, Kegs Chalk. Fair play to him. Um, it's like, it's like, you know, he's changed his name now. It's like, I mean... Tosin Adarabayo changing his name to yeah. Tosin now, which he did after I had to announce him for a whole season at West Brom. <laughs> That's good going that though, Richard. Give you a point for that. For, for Tosin Adarabayo, thank you. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. You can, well, you can tell I've done it over and over now, can't you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, let's get back to a couple last couple of questions. Uh, Alex, oh, like... sorry, sorry, Rich. Just uh, go I've got yeah. one for you boys because this is one that really gets gets to me as a, as a city as the city announcer. I'm going to send it back to you to the pair here. Okay. okay. Here you go. The roles are reversed. Oh. oh very funny. <laughs> very funny. Now, I've always said this as Kevin De Bruyne. Okay. Alan? Well, to be fair, I've always said it as that as well, but I'm sure you're going to tell us it's De Bruyne or something. You know what? I think De Bruyne is one of those things that's just somebody said it on telly and then it's become like the, the uh, you know, that's gospel, but... 
Um, it is actually Kevin De Bruyne. De Bruyne. Yeah, oh, right. and, I, and I know that because I've seen him pronounce it himself. Um, and he's been asked, is he bothered if it's De Bruyne or De Bruyne? And he he, he kind of like <laughs> shrugs his shoulders and says, I'm not I'm not really that fussed. I'm just here to play football. But um, yeah, that's that's a bit yeah. of another one. We recently introduced a young academy player. Um, so I'm going to just, um, if you want to carry on talking, talking to Alex, I'm going to ping you both. <laughs> Ping you both his name. I've right, got a we'll feeling I know who this is going to be. I, I was going to ask you a few weeks ago about Amid Giallo, only because I saw the the, the the tweets and everything popping up about him coming in. But Giallo seems to have sorted out. I think I know who you're going to ping here. But right, WhatsApp's come through. Um, yes. Alex, as the guest, I'll let you go first on that one. Uh, well, I'd go with Alan. I'd go with Shola Shoratire. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay, so I, I would have gone Shola Shortire. Yeah, well, um, unfortunately for me and uh, the broadcasting world, he made his debut a couple of games ago and uh, I announced him as Shola Shortire. <laughs> uh, and then there was a load of frantic running around from media and everybody else and I was getting messages left, right and centre with phonetic pronunciation. Oh. So uh, if he comes on on Sunday, Alex... Yes, you're all you're almost there. Thank it's you. Right, show, okay. Yeah, the shoulder bit's okay, but it's uh, Shora Tire. Yeah, Shora yeah. Tire. So you're almost there, but never in a million years would I have guessed it was that. I mean, so just last thing on this now. I know you're trying to move. No, definitely fine, trying to move mate. on, Rich. But there was a a mate of mine, Ann Allen's, Dave Unsworth, Alan. If you remember, you know, oh, big Dave. Where, where is he now? He's uh, he's doing all he's doing all the emergency and health and safety announcements at the stadium. So he's like my my right man. He's in charge of that big tannoy. Um, but I see him. We're like a married couple, me and Dave. Anyway, he filled give in one time. Love. I will I'll give you. I'll give you a big cuddle for you. Yeah, he's a um, legend. He's a legend. He is, he is. He's a top guy. Anyway, he he filled in for us one time at the academy stadium, uh, and he. He got one of these uh, pronunciations of an Arsenal uh, under 23s player. Now the Arsenal player, and I won't tell you what Dave said because it's a family show. <laughs> but, uh, this player's name was Amwankwo. <laughs> we so, can already uh, guess. I'll leave, that, I'll leave that one with you, yeah. with Dave, who was just who, who had this team sheet chucked under his nose and got told to get on with it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, oh, I wish I had been there for that one, but. Uh, right, so let's get to it, Alex. We we move on to one of the big things we always talk about with our announcers, and that is the the two fifty five moment, or or it could be five to eight, or quarter to two eight, or seven thirty, or anything these days. But the, the the orchestration and how it all works, and your five minutes before kickoff, when you know everything really is on the announcer. So you know you you're, you're waiting for the lineups, the the walkout music, and all of that. What's it like at City? How does it work? Yeah, so it's um, it's the busiest time for us and the atmosphere is building and I suppose that's the same for most stadium announcers that you, you'll talk to, Rich. So it, you, your team sheet goes out, we'll do the away teams first, 1 to 11s. We don't even do the subs anymore just because it's it's less is more now. And then the City team gets read out, um, you know, the starting 11 with headshots on the on the screens, big graphics, and um, really giving it some some extra meat on there. Now, um, when it when it comes to me announcing the players, now I got um, a real good reference point. Um, I met the AC Milan stadium announcer one time, and um, it was a it was a preseason friendly again in Munich, and it was this like four team tournament, and. Uh, City raced into a three-goal lead. So I'd done all the talking and the announcements and he had nothing to say until Milan got a goal back. And then they, they did get a goal back and he turned into this opera singer. And it was... I've never heard anything like it. It really took me back. It was like, Gol Milano! <laughs> and then it was the, the number and then the name of the player which seemed to go on forever. So I was like, this is, this is amazing. And I tried to adopt that approach a little, well, soften it a bit, because if you went on forever in, in Britain, you'd, you'd just be like, who, who does he think he is? <laughs> but I certainly try to add add a bit of spice when I when I do it now and elongate the names, if you like. So um, that's how I go about my my team team sheet announcements prior to kickoff. And then the music's building, the players are getting into the tunnel. 
there's a piece of script now that we say, look, thanks to everyone, you know, loyal supporters who are watching this from the safety of your own homes. We're, you know, we can't wait to get you back in the stadium at the next opportunity. So just if, you know, it's it's going out to broadcast and there's a chance that people will hear that, it's That's it's cool. a nod to the fans to say, look, you know, we know you're with us in spirit. And, you know, and the players walk out and there's the, uh, there's the fist pumps. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a less is more from me, really, yeah. apart from the teams and welcoming both sets of uh, players out now. Has the, um, has the, what's, what's the walkout music? For a long time, it's, it was, uh, interestingly, it was uh, Fat Boy Slim right here, right now, yeah, you know, that, that, that build, uh, build track. And then yeah. every now and again, they'll, We'll we'll mix it up and try other things, um, but again, I'm I'm a bit removed from that. I mean, once once that build and walk tracks happen, you've got the the Premier League or the Champions League handshake music, mm-hmm. and then um, just prior to kick off, City will either play Hey Jude because City uh, the fans will sing uh, their own version of that, or um, more popular is is Blue Moon. Um, you know the old Bobby V. Vinton track, which has got a more rockier version recorded of it now, um, which is is the city song. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've, I've seen those atmospheres, and and you know, and you know, I know exactly what right here, right now is 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 good. You know, it's used by a few teams because it's good. It is it is really good for that. It really does. Um, it really just builds perfectly, really, doesn't it? And I suppose you know you get to you get to orchestrate alongside that tune, don't you? Like I have to do with uh, we do it with uh, Faithless Insomnia at West Brom just before, just as they walk out, as I've announced the the, the you know away team and then West Bromwich Albion. But then you you rattle through all of that pre-match stuff so we can get the liquidator on, just so West Brom fans can sing their anti-Wolverhampton lyrics to that one. <laughs> and the last thing. <laughs> we always like to ask is Alex, in your opinion, what makes a good stadium announcer? Okay. So the things that I'd like to think, um, you know, tribute, you know, to a good stadium announcer would be clarity of voice, depth of voice. And I, I purposely, on a lot of announcements, I, I try and set myself deeper when it, when it comes out on the mic, you know, really go from the diaphragm, um, the tone. I like to stand up and deliver um, what I'm saying, mic technique is important. Obviously, not being too close, not being too far away. Enthusiasm, but also then then picking your moments so you're not you know over the top, um, or you're not you know downplaying a, a special moment or a big goal. Mm-hmm. Too right, too right. Well, um, thank you for being on tonight with us, and and thank you both for showing the utmost respect for each other, as uh, your teams are deadly enemies, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've absolutely loved this chat, guys, you know, um, talking to some of my peers, and I've only ever met other stadium announcers by by chance, and, you know, I know, Alan, you've mentioned on a, on previous podcasts, you, you've been lucky enough to go to Wembley, as have I, and it's only there in those environments where other announcers have I've been invited along that you get chatting to people so this is uh you know, really really enjoyed this this uh this chat with you both today it's been a pleasure alex you've been absolutely great and uh your stories and you can feel the passion and the blueness in your blood it's uh great to speak to you and i'm glad that rich was able to get you on particularly at this very uh important time in both uh our football clubs yeah, no, really appreciate you inviting me along, guys. Um, looking forward to the 184th Manchester Derby, I believe it is, and the 21st at the Etihad. So I've nearly, nearly done half of them, which is a is a huge honour for me. And uh, yeah, Alan, if we ever get chance to meet up in person again, uh, you know, definitely have a coffee or a pint. And, and likewise, Rich, if I get down to West Brom, it'd be lovely to meet you face to face. Oh, very nice of him, but uh, I need to actually get back doing a West Brom game first. Uh, not sure exactly when that kicks in on the roadmap, but hopefully it's on the way at some point. Matt James from uh, episode three of series one is doing it at the minute before I get back as part of the double act. 
See you soon, Matt, hopefully. Uh, big thanks to Alex for the stories and to Alan as well, of course. Uh, so much to hear from Alex there. We just wanted to take it all in. Hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know what you thought. Rate and review us, please, in the comments. Uh, and remember, we've done a Derby Day special episode with those two. It's in the feed waiting for you now. Some great tales about announcing at Man City Man United Games. Uh, you, of course, can let us know which TV games you hear the announcers giving it some gusto on or you hear them slipping up on the sub or anything else we should know about. Tweet us at AnnouncersPod or DM us on Insta. We are We Welcome Your Team's Pod. And just before we go, there's time for one final announcement, which, after all the stuff that Alex gave us, we thought we'd do in German. Well, actually, it's coming courtesy of the German Google Translate. Ein großes Hallo an Kevin De Brune und Uwe Rosler sowie alle unsere deutschen Zuhörer. I don't think she said Kevin De Brune, right? Did you? See you next time. <laughs>